0: I am so excited to be here. First of all, every time I see Tracy, I have like flashbacks. I've known Tracy longer than Andy. Back in the late 90s, we used to do youth ministry stuff. Um, I was doing youth ministry at Northland. Where were you at the time? Asbury United Methodist. Asbury United Methodist. And we were doing like church-wide youth outreach, bringing like, I don't know, nine or ten churches together. Uh, It was amazing. We did things I'm sure we're not allowed to do today. Like (laughs) the rules were different in youth ministry back then, but I love it when I see Tracy, I I have flashbacks to those great memories. Andy has been an amazing person for me to be inspired by. In fact, uh, I was looking through social media recently and I I saw this. Andy does not want me to show this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's a picture of Andy who was awarded what Castleberry Citizen of the Year, right? I sent the slides for this sermon in advance, and I knew when Andy saw that, he was going to be like, no way. Um, But I love this picture because it represents what I know of Andy. Um, One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, he writes about the integrity of the Christian life. And he talks about the integrity of the Christian life really boils down to three things. It's like a triangle. And what holds a triangle, the integrity of a triangle isn't the long lines that you see, it's the corners that hold the triangle together. That's its integrity. And Peterson talks about how the integrity of the Christian life boils down to three things, scripture, prayer, and spiritual direction. And that's what I see in this man's life. And I know you see it too. And so we are blessed as a community to have his leadership here. And I know you feel blessed to have his leadership here uh, at church together. Let me tell you a bit about my background. I love the church. I'm a big fan of the church. Uh, I became a Christian when I was five years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was old school flannel board, like you know, some of you remember the the like uh, fabric boards that you could just put little figurines on. And I remember crystal clearly when I came to know Jesus, and from that point forward the church has been a passion of mine. This is a picture of my grandfather. My grandfather was a church planter in the West Indies. I only met him when I was a baby. I had one picture of me being held by my grandfather, Poppy Jim. He was a church planter uh, in those islands. I love this picture because it represents uh, to me his passion for the church as well. When he moved his family there, to plant churches, they would do it by boat, a little motor boat outboard motor and and deliveries were done monthly, supplies and food into these remote island uh, this remote island where they lived and The story goes that on one occasion the pilot came in and was unloading uh, the food and supplies for my my grandfather and and grandmother and their family and as the pilot was about to leave, he asked my grandfather is there anything else that you need for the next time that I come? And he said, yeah, I need a plane. Um, and the pilot, you know, that what he was expecting to hear. And so he asked my grandfather, do you know how to fly? He said, no, I need a, I need somebody to come and teach me how to fly as well. Can you send both? Uh, and sure enough, month goes by, two planes come back, one Uh, with the instructor and uh, a couple other people that were going to help him learn. Kind of a different take on crash course training, you know, but basically he learned in a very condensed way how to land that plane on beaches and start churches in these little islands. Uh, He died at a younger age, uh, in his late 40s, around my age actually, and uh, the legacy of his love for the church still lives in the West Indies. And so I always love that picture. That's I have roots there. My parents were actually missionaries in Brazil. Uh, I grew up uh in my elementary school years, that's where I fell in love with soccer. It's why I love cacá. Uh and I never saw, like, I've seen more crazy wildlife in Florida than I ever saw in Brazil. People, you know, they hear that I grew up in Brazil, and they think anacondas and all the crazy Amazon stuff. That was my picture of growing up in Brazil. I moved you know, grew up in Florida, and after that, I moved back. And that's when I got to know alligators and snakes and all the craziness. But there, big city. And my parents were planting churches there and partnering with other churches in that city. And so my love for the church grew through those years as well. So from my grandparents to my parents. And then here's my little tribe. A um, couple of them are here. We're missing my daughter. But my wife, Addie, on the left over there uh, next to my son, Wyatt, and my daughter, Emerson. Wyatt is sixth grade at Millie, just started, uh, and loving it. Right, buddy? Love school. Um, <laughs> and then my daughter... Uh, who's a freshman at Full Sail University, and she truly loves school because it's like taking on a whole new meaning for her uh, to be able to finally study the things that she loves. And then I couldn't leave out, you know, the other creatures that live under our roof, uh, our dog Jet, who's 70 and dog years. Um, he's getting to be an old man. And Echo, who is our little bearded dragon that Wyatt convinced us we needed. And so uh, he's like, as of a few weeks ago, the newest addition. So when Andy was talking about this series title, and and I always love the coffee times that we have together, uh, I was praying and thinking about this phrase, Christians act like Christ. And the thing that kept coming to mind was, how would the world put punctuation at the end of that statement? Would they take a statement like that? Would they put a question mark there? Or would they put an exclamation mark? And if we're honest, many of us would probably admit that especially in the last year and a half, the church has not looked its best sometimes. And in fact, maybe we've even had conversations in our neighborhoods or at work or at school where they have more questions about the church. In fact, they see and maybe are more skeptical about what they see represented in the church. And it looks more like a question mark than an exclamation mark. What does it look like for us to shift that punctuation back? And I believe it's, it's gotta get to the scriptures, right? And we're gonna look at that, a Jesus story here in just a second. What does it look like for us to embody what Jesus taught in the Gospels and what the early church modeled in those first 300 years of its existence? For a lot of us, we came out of the pandemic. We always talk about the pandemic, you know, the one pandemic, COVID in 2020. As I've been thinking about, that word, you know, it really comes the Greek kind of root for, for pandemic is pandemos. It literally means all people. Pan just means all. Demos, the Greek word is is people. And for us in America, as well as in, in many other parts of the world, we share a similarity, not just with one of the pandemics, COVID, but we've actually had multiple types of pandemics, things that have impacted All of us as people. In the year 2020, we basically discovered that uh, through the craziness of of COVID, not only did we have a physical pandemic through this disease, but we also discovered that we had uh, a racial pandemic, right? That emerged as we saw the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. We found that we had a political pandemic that emerged through the elections. All of a sudden, this pandemic, We we, even when we're in schools, Jamila, who's my co-conspirator with USA Unites, the organization that we work for, we go onto school campuses and we talk about these pandemics. We talk about even if you didn't vote, even if you weren't old enough to vote in 2020, you were impacted by the division that came out of the elections already mentioned racially, socially, the pandemic of what took place through unfollowing people, unfriending people, canceling people. If you did not look like me, think like me, vote like me, believe like me, what was my reaction just in a click? I could either remove you, ignore you, or worse, and I'm sure you've seen it on social media, Christians who would just flood the internet with some of the worst dissension and division and attacks. And ultimately, we've seen what I would consider a spiritual pandemic, where there's been a vacuum in the church at a time when we need the church so desperately to step in to this space. In fact, the church has always stepped into those spaces historically. Some of the biggest uh, most incredible historical movements that changed the world, changed our country. Where did they emerge? They emerged out of the church, out of the body of Christ. And right now, we have such an opportunity to do that. So I want to look at John chapter four. If you have your scriptures and you can turn there on your phone or device, or if you have an old school paper Bible like I do, uh, you can turn there. We're going to look at a Jesus story By the way, I'm a Tampa Bay Bucks fan as well, and some friends invited us to the game this afternoon, so we will, and sure, I've heard Andy can go all afternoon. Uh, That will not be me, okay? Um, We we are going to get on the road here in a little bit to go to Tampa. Um, John chapter 4, this Jesus story, where Jesus interacts with this woman at the well, might be a story you're familiar with. As we go through this, consider... What jumps out of this narrative that would define for us what Jesus modeled, putting an exclamation mark instead of that question mark for us as a church, all right? So see if you can pull out a few of what Jesus modeled here, these actions. Let's start right in verse 1, chapter 4, in the Gospel of John The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Isn't it so like the church to just, I mean, we will find anything to fight about, won't we? Um, I mean, you know, here we are, like whatever kind of work you do, analytics and studying data, you think it's not in the church. I mean, these guys are fighting and they've got like a tally board somewhere and they're counting who's being baptized and dividing. What does Jesus do? The Lord learned of this. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So here's the setting. Jesus is wanting to go north. He's wanting to head back to Galilee from where he is right now in Judea. And basically, if you were to look at a map, you can look on your Bible in the back with all the great maps Basically, it's a north, it's a south to north route, okay? He's in Judea. He wants to get to Galilee. It's like interstate, I-95. He's gonna go straight up. It's about a three-day journey from Judea to Galilee. And there's a city in the middle of the interstate that he will go through called Samaria. So about a three-day, not a short trip. The next verse, now he had to go through Samaria. What's interesting here is some of the Bible scholars Uh, they actually debate why this verse was implanted here. Why did John state that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Because in fact, he didn't have to. And it was popular in that that day, in that time, for many Jews who despised Samaritans to take a bypass. You know how sometimes you're getting into a city and you don't want to go through the downtown traffic and they have a bypass many people in traveling would do that why it would make their trip longer might even cost more resources maybe an extra lodging uh, extra food some of the some of the jews despised and hated the samaritans so deeply that they would often go the longer route they would even have to cross over the jordan geographically i mean it created all kinds of hurdles but they would do that because of the way that they hated the Samaritans. In fact, uh, you can research this on your own, on your own. They would often be labeled as half-breeds, or they would be called dogs. They were so despised. Why? Well, if you know some of your, your Bible history, you might remember King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Old Testament. And he would go in and conquer lands. And what was part of his strategy as, as the army would invade and as they would conquer these cities, they would often remove much of the population, displace them into other uh, geographic spaces, and then they would infuse that space with their own people. And then you would have intermarriages and other relationships over, over years that would come out of that space. And then once Nebuchadnezzar uh, lost his reign and the Jewish people were able to move back into that region known as Samaria, Samaria, they found that those who had stayed had intermarried and had uh, developed customs and, and other aspects of culture in their life. And that's why they looked down upon them. There's a lot of prejudice uh, towards them, towards their own people now at this stage. And so that's why the, the anger, the animosity, the prejudice was so deep. The hatred was so deep. But John points out here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. It gives you pause to consider why did Jesus have to? It's because we know that the creator often there's these divine appointments, not only that Jesus had, but that are created for each of us. How often do we try to go around somebody, dodge somebody? I don't do this, but Jamila does it all the time. You know, how often do we not want to interact with someone? Because we don't want to get into that hard conversation. Maybe it's a, it's a religious conversation. Maybe it's a political conversation. Maybe it has to do with uh, some history that you have in that relationship. And we want to take the bypass. And here we have this incredible picture where Jesus goes directly to the source. And again, models very quickly for us how to put an exclamation mark instead of a question mark. So let's keep going. We got a lot to cover. So he goes through Samaria. Uh, He comes to a town named uh, Sychar, and it's near the plot ground. Uh, Jacob had his son. Uh, Jacob's well was there. I'm sorry, where where am I? Verse six. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from journeying, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon, and it's hot. It's like Florida in September hot, right? And Jesus is worn out and he goes to this well and he sits down. Which again, I, I I see these so often as these incredible pauses in the scripture. Some of you are here this morning or you're you're joining online and you are exhausted. Physically, emotionally. I mean, COVID has taken its toll. Everything else, life has just been bearing down. And you may not even be sure why you're here or how you got here. And the enemy, no doubt, would want to say to you, you shouldn't even be here. You've got so much going on in your life that needs fixing. You should. You need to actually exit and get that straightened out before you come here. And here we have this story, this moment where Jesus sits and pauses. Jesus even physically is exhausted, spent, tired. And it reminds us of his humanity, in the middle of his divinity, that when we pray, when we worship, we have a creator who can empathize with the physical pain that we might be feeling, the emotional strain. He lost friends like Lazarus, had difficult conversations, lost friends through disagreement and parting ways because of who he said he was. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through, and he knew exactly exactly what the Samaritan woman was going through when she came by herself. Again, a detail that should not be overlooked. In that time period, when somebody was coming to a well, often it was a social activity. You went with some friends. It was a time to catch up and socialize on the way. You could help each other with a strain of lifting water out of these deep wells. These wells uh, were at least 100 feet deep. This one archaeologists have found was 130 feet or so. So it took some work. You would do that with companions. And there's some foreshadowing here already with the Samaritan woman. Something's up that she would be coming by herself without anyone with her. And so she comes, and Jesus meets her there. It's the sixth hour. And they sit, and and Jesus says, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy some Chick-fil-A, I don't blame them. Number one combo, large sweet tea, two ketchup, sriracha, right? Addie's sriracha. Um, The disciples were hungry, you know, Peter, he gets hangry. So it's like, Jesus, we're peacing out. We got to go get some food. They leave Jesus and he starts engaging this Samaritan woman. By the way, think about this for a second. Samaria. It's not by accident that Samaria repeats itself often in the scriptures, If you fast forward to uh, the book of Acts, right, you might remember that Jesus says in Acts 1.8, before he ascends back to heaven, in fact, I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jesus says to the disciples and to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and where? In Samaria. He could have picked any geographical space to identify in that scripture, and he picks Samaria. Why? Because we as a people are to move to those spaces that the world wants to ignore or neglect or displace or marginalize. And Jesus intentionally moves towards that space. And in fact, I had a professor in seminary who would say, if we don't Acts one eight to go into those regions, to go into the Samarias, then what will happen is God will Acts eight one. Okay, what happens in eight one? On that day, a great persecution uh, broke out uh, against the church in Jerusalem, and uh, all all the apostles were scattered, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So if we don't acts one eight, God will acts eight: one. His intentions will always be known, and he will, Execute his mission, and he invites us, as Jesus did this, even in the Gospel of John. So let's keep going. So Jesus is sitting with her. He obviously doesn't even have any rope. Um, often these these wells would uh, not just be preset because people would come and steal and take it. You had to bring your own equipment, uh, and so. She's bringing over 100 feet of rope and and a bucket that would have been made out of goat skin to drop in there. And not only is she lifting this water, but Jesus is going so far as to ask her to drink from the same cup. The intimacy, the movement that's modeled here of Jesus with this Samaritan woman. Again, all exclamation marks instead of question marks of what it looks like for us as a church. Let me pick up in verse 11. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. Uh, The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Verse 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Verse 15, she says, sir, give me some of that water so I won't be thirsty. And Jesus actually then kind of changes the subject a little bit. He says, go call your husband, come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. When you say you have no husband, uh, in fact, you've had five and the one you are with now is not your husband. And she said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, she's pointing out more division. Listen, this makes no sense. This conversation makes no sense. Um, us sitting here makes no sense. Theologically, we, we built our own place of worship here in Samaria. You believe that the place of worship is Jerusalem. There's theological differences, certainly political differences Uh, There's differences in culture and Jesus is breaking all of that. And he says to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth she goes on and says i know that messiah called christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us and jesus declares i'm the one the one you're speaking with i'm the one that you've been looking for church i don't know what you've picked up just in that quick narrative but i want to highlight three quick pieces and this will this will go by fast cuz um, I don't want to. I don't want to be longer than Andy normally is, and have that attached to me. So, three exclamation marks. So much of what we do in the schools. We obviously are USA Unites. You can read about that later, and uh, we can always email and give you more information about that. But what Jay and I do as USA Unites, we go on to school campuses. Uh, We've been at Lyman the last few weeks, and we do these six-week workshops where we talk about listening, learning, and leaning in. We don't get to use the Bible, of course, because it's public school, but all of this is embedded in the gospel. All of what we teach in the schools is rooted in what Jesus modeled and how he lived. What does it mean to listen? Jesus' example, the body language, his posture, the way he sees her. Uh, we spent a lot of time doing trips and work in Africa over the years and uh, in, in this place called Eswati. Uh, there's a language they speak. It's rooted in Zulu. It's called Siswati. And this word that we learned over the years as we would spend our summers there, Sanibonani or Salbona. It's this greeting. When you pass somebody, you're saying hello. But what you're doing, the meaning of the word is not just a simple hi. It's actually, I see you. As I pass by you, I respect your life and this moment and our interaction. And Jesus models that when he sees her, he also humanizes her and the way that he uh, processes things with her. He doesn't just kind of bear information onto her. He's dialoguing with her. He does that with us calls us to do that with those around us. He sees her not as a position, but as a person. How often do I come across somebody and the moment they say something that I don't disagree with, I no longer see them as a human. I see them as a position. And now we've got to do battle. And now I've got to be right. And I've got to get my point. And I, I have to evangelize whatever point it is that I'm making politically often to get them to win my side. And Jesus is modeling here. There's so much more to what we offer as a church. And then he leans in and dignifies her. And I love this quote. And Andy and I were talking about it earlier this week. I can't remember who said it. I think it might've been Plato. If not, we can credit Ted Lasso. Um, Be kind for everyone is fighting a hard battle. That's what Jesus modeled in those moments. He reached out and leaned in knowing There were deeper concerns and pains that that person, that human, made in his image was experiencing, and he moved in a way that we're called to move. So what does that mean for us to shift the narrative right now as a church away from these pandemics that are obviously dividing, creating dissension and distraction and attacking and polarizing, and instead Be a community, a faith community that's creating instead of a pandemos of love and unity and invitation the way we see Jesus do that. And the rest of the story, you can read it later, but what does the woman do? Not only does she experience personal transformation in that conversation with Jesus, she goes back and it goes from personal transformation to a local community being transformed. That's what I love about the efforts here in Castleberry. How do we have a footprint in this community that shines Jesus in such a way that the world would see and the local community would see and be impacted. In fact, you can see how this was then uh, replicated and multiplied throughout the early church. In Acts, it talks about how the Christians were, how, how the, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. They were first called Christians who act like Christ. Why? Because of the encouragement, the invitation, the unity, the forgiveness, the leaning in. So here's what I want to close with. This is actually a little survey we do in the schools as well, minus the church part. We we put school there. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate how we're doing as a nation when it comes to listening learning, and leaning in. When we do the survey at the school, it's like on average three at best, very low. Not a whole lot of hope among the next generation on this topic of listening and learning and leaning in. How would you rate? What number would you pick as a church? How are we doing on a scale of one to 10 on moving to the Samarias, the Samaritans, Those who think different, look different, vote different, believe different. And those are easy categories, right? Because they're kind of general buckets, but let's get personal. On a scale of one to 10, what number would I pick for where I am? How often am I looking for the bypass instead of moving directly to people that God has appointed before the foundation of the world for me to interact with and engage in and bring eternity right into that present moment. That's what we're called to as a church. That's how we put exclamation mark instead of question mark at that. Are you with me? I personally have a long way to go. Jay, longer, but I have a long way to go. And that's why it's so important for us to be around each other as a community of faith. Can I pray a scripture for us Pray a scripture over us, in fact. Because these actions, these exclamation marks, they actually have to be rooted in an attitude. And the attitude that we should have is given to us right from the scriptures. Let these words just come over you. The words from scripture, Philippians chapter two. Church together, each of us, If you, if we have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if we have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Let's consider others better than ourselves. And each of us should look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of those around us, our community. Those exclamation marks will have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Father, would you make that so? We confess to you that we are a long way from where we want to be, but we thank you that you invite us not in shaming us, not in, in condemning us, but you invite us out of a deep love to then turn around and love others. Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us courage in those conversations this week with people that I'm sure each of us would have come to mind right now, that we would move towards them instead of away from them? And Father, that as we do, would you give us that attitude of humility that we see in the scriptures? May this world be changed through the conversations we have this week. Would you do that in the same way you did back in those early years? May your church continue to multiply and influence. May we be Christians with those exclamation marks, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.